Today is Sunday, June 18th, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, and I am Larry H. Russell. The 2017 NBA offseason officially gets rolling this Thursday evening down in New York with the draft. That leads right into free agency. So it is time. Our offseason extravaganza, free agency, trade market, and draft preview all in one. Who will the Celtics sign? Who's the best fit? Can they compete with Cleveland next year? And are they really going to trade that number one overall selection? Host of the Game Theory Podcast, Sam Vecini, coming up on episode number 214 of Celtics Beat, being presented by ZipRecruiter and HelloFresh. Gordon Hayward or Blake Griffin? I would take Gordon Hayward. I think he's a little bit, uh, little bit more of a sure thing, given Blake Griffin's injury history, given uh, you know some of the concerns about Blake Griffin's fit with Al Horford defensively, and in terms of the way that he would work within the front court. His rebounding over the last few years has really dropped off. That's obviously the Celtics' number one need right now, uh, in terms of shoring up what is basically their biggest weakness in my opinion so i would take hayward i know he wouldn't necessarily help the rebounding but i do think that uh, at this stage of the game he is just a more consistent more uh, uh you know more capable player than blake griffin given the way the game has moved out to the perimeter i'm just so resigned to the celtics actually signing gordon hayward i know there was an espn report that came out earlier in the week that oh no miami's going to be in the mix but i felt that gordon hayward is going to be was I felt been purely I'm blowing all over the place. I've been feeling pretty confident about Gordon Hayward being in Boston for the last calendar year, and I would say the odds are, quote unquote, in the words of Johnny Miller, better than most, and that he will be. But I just I I can't even make an argument for Blake Griffin to join the Celtics largely because I even I haven't even thought of it, only because I've just been so emotionally invested in Gordon Hayward. So. Sam, you are an L.A. guy, and we are here with Sam Vecini, one of the most foreknown and the most accurate prognosticator of collegiate and amateur basketball products. We will talk about that very shortly. Sam Vecini of the Sporting News and host of the Game Theory Podcast on CLNS. So real quick to kind of wrap this portion up, though. You are out in L.A., Sam. You've seen enough of Blake Griffin. Could you give me a Blake Griffin argument for the Celtics then to make this thing far easier for me? Yeah, sure. I mean, Blake Griffin, when he's healthy, is one of the 15 best players in the NBA. He is not just a dunker anymore, quote unquote. Like, who knows with how much the injuries are going to kind of sap his athleticism going forward into his older years. But, you know, this is a guy who really added to his game, right? He's become one of the best passing big men in the NBA. He can now knock down shots out to 18 to 20 feet. Uh, The inside game still exists. Defensively, He's at least a little bit switchable. He's not going to be a rim protector. He's not going to be a high-level defender, but he at least has some use defensively. Uh, I am cautiously optimistic that I think a Blake Griffin tenure, as long as he stays healthy, would end well in Boston. But if the choice is between Gordon Hayward and Blake Griffin, which it ostensibly is. I mean, if they would both say Boston should, or if like they would both tell Boston, hey, I'm willing to sign there, I would take Gordon Hayward and not even really think twice. I'm curious to see how Blake Griffin would fit, whereas I'm not curious to see how Gordon Hayward fit. It's going to be exactly like Al Horford last year in that he would fit in 
absolutely seamlessly. There's going to be no issues in having to remake the team or the offense with Gordon Hayward once you insert him into the Celtics lineup. Uh, you actually kind of sent a little dinger to my head uh, a little earlier in this interview, Sam, when you mentioned when you mentioned the, the the rebounding deficiency that the Celtics have that. Everyone who follows the Celtics to any type of a what degree or another is aware of. Do you think that's their biggest need or their biggest deficiency when they actually try to attack this off uh, off season? So I think it's certainly their biggest deficiency, right? But in terms of need, I'm not actually entirely sure how much of a need it is because they have a guy coming over, in Ante Zizic, who is a really, really good rebounder, right? Uh, he is going to be on a rookie scale deal. I believe they took him number 23 last year in the NBA draft. Uh, has continued to really mature and develop over there. I had him as a lottery pick last year in my draft rankings, you know, number 14, number 13 overall, something in that range. Uh, and he's done nothing to make me think that he is not going to be a really good player. I think he can be a potential starting NBA center, especially in a defense that will surround him with a lot of length and athleticism with guys like Gordon Hayward, who's a plus defender, if he ends up there, uh, with guys like Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart. They're the kind of weapons that you need to kind of insulate Ante Jijic which because, with because uh, he is not necessarily like super slow-footed, but he's also not going to be a switchable defender in the same way that Al Horford is. So I think that he's going to be a really, really nice piece for them going forward uh, that addresses the biggest problem with the Celtics right now. You put out a tweet. Um, I, I think it was you. I can't quite recall. So please correct me if I am wrong that you had him as like a top. You, you said lottery pick this year. Where did, you, where did you have him? Did you put out a tweet that he may even be top 10 this year? Am I, am I wrong on that? Uh, yeah, I had him a lottery as a lottery pick last year. Uh, if he was in this draft, I would say he would probably go like number 11 or so. Uh, like right in that range. So, you know, he ends up moving from, uh, where was he? He was either with Red Star or... Turkish League. Uh, That's well, all no, I last know. I apologize. Year. Oh. Uh, last year, I'm trying to remember. He was either with Red Star or another team uh, within that city, within uh, Belgrade last year. And I can't remember if... Uh, I can't remember the exact team, but he uh, has now moved to Turkey and was basically the same player, right? Like he was equally as dominant, moving up to a much higher level of competition in the Turkish league this year and in the Euro league this year. So that bodes really well for his translation. He is going to be a guy who can go out and get your rebounds. He is going to be able to provide energy, provide motor, provide that boost off the bench that I think the Celtics could really use. Does that change really any strategy in attacking the rest of the offseason? We all know they're going to be all in on Gordon Hayward. July 1st, I believe the day is. It always seems to be every single year, 1201. There's going to be some sort of, uh, you know, ambassadorship being headed his way. But how do you think that changes Boston's strategy with especially, I know the organization is very high on Zizic. Sometimes you can almost, you, you can believe uh, only so much from an organization, but I mean, just the people around basketball that we, we have the highest re opinions for, of their opinion of basketball, such as yourself, Sam. How do you think that changes the Celtics in terms of, yeah, as I just now asked for like the second time, and, and how they attack the rest of their offseason with, with you know, filling out their roster? Look, I don't really know that it does, to be honest. I think that uh, if they could get another veteran big man, uh, even with Zizic coming over, I do think that they would probably bounce on that idea, right? Like they would go for it and decide this is a smart move. Having said that, you know, I don't really think that it's, yeah, like I don't think it's going to make too big of a difference. I think they're going to be happy with Zizic. I think they're going to be happy with uh, if 
a veteran big man is willing to go there. I think they'll be good with that, and they'll probably bounce on it too. But like at the same time, this is a team that's just trying to get better. Uh, they're trying to build the right way. They're trying to build uh, through somewhat youth while still uh, you know, setting them up not only for this window, but for the window after LeBron James leaves Cleveland. So uh, it's a bit of a complicated situation, but uh, ultimately I do believe that uh, the Celtics will handle it really well because that front office is really, really good. Yeah, a conundrum is the word I believe I threw at you before we got on the air. You know, with the with the way the, the whole new salary structure now after the new television deal, it's really hard for even all of us to gauge what potential free agents are going to be getting. There may be a player X or a player Y that we as outside observers may view that could be obtained on the cheap. I mean, I threw some names down like Dwayne Dedman and, and then, you know, Zaza Pachulia. Well, he's, a, you know, he's really aged, but... I mean, are those roughly? I mean, are those just names that I'm just throwing out? Are those players that could be obtained for you know just a handful of million, handful of million dollars? Because the Celtics likely, if they do sign Gordon Hayward or another max free agent, won't be having you know they won't have much left over to sign anyone of significance. Are those obtainable players if the best case scenario happens for them? Which I expect it to that you know to do. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is that like around the NBA, there is. I don't want to say an expectation that Gordon Hayward's going to be a Boston Celtic because you never know until the money's on the table. But it does seem like people around the league do think that Gordon Hayward, you know, is going We're to be operating under that assumption that. here. The, the ten minutes under the show. I hope the audience now has finally come to that conclusion. Right. Like, and again, like I'm not like reporting anything that like is breaking news that like there are major connections between Gordon Hayward and the Boston Celtics. And, you know, like there are going to be those connections going forward. Like Gordon Hayward is a really, really good basketball player. And Boston is obviously going to have interest. There's obviously uh, interest in at least hearing a pitch uh, on the Hayward side of things. So we're going to see how it goes. Uh, you know, and ultimately if Hayward signs with Boston, we'll just, you know, have to see. I'd imagine it would be like a three plus one contract uh, at the max level so that he can opt out after three years again and, you know, maybe explore his options, but mostly get to that 10 year uh, max contract window that allows you to get 35% of the cap. So, you know, going back to, uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I even forget the question after the Gordon Hayward. Uh, uh, op- yeah, exactly. Operating under the assumption that that does happen. What are some possible veteran names, particularly along the front line? Oh, Could the you Celtics up, exactly? Yeah. You brought up Dwayne Dedman. I like that idea a lot, actually. You know, he's a guy that I think will probably end up around the new mid-level exception, which is right around like $8 million. Uh, He makes a lot of sense for them. The Spurs were five points better uh, defensively with Dwayne Dedman on the floor than when he was off the floor this year. They were obviously the best defense in the NBA this year, so that says a lot. Um, You know, good rebounder. Uh, you know, really, really good rim protector. He would fit a limited role for Boston in a really nice way. Pachulia, you know, we'll see. I would imagine that, you know, Golden State will try and do what it can to keep him. I'm not sure they're going to be able to. Uh, you know, I, I like the Deadman fit a little bit better just in terms of rim protection and rebounding, but, you know, Pachulia would work as well. Is Kyle O'Quinn, is he a free agent? I mean, I don't remember seeing his name anywhere, so I assume that's a no. He is not. Okay. No, I believe I he has why. two more years on his yeah. deal. Okay. And are there really other, any probably big name, you know, big man names? I mean, Andrew Bogut, he doesn't have much left, right? I mean, now I'm just really throwing, slinging some mud against the wall. Yeah, I mean, Bogut's probably going to be like a minimum guy this year. I think that that is, you know, intriguing as a last-ditch resort if you're Boston. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I don't really have any names, but uh, I, I do think that, you know, a, a veteran big man isn't necessarily the worst idea. 
Yeah, veteran big if, once again, just really don't know where the Celts cap is going to be. as They're scrambling as is to shed every penny. More on that certainly later. Not there yet, Sam. But if there is an opportunity out there that allows it, certainly that makes sense. Now, once again, going to talk about this later in our draft preview portion of the interview, especially with the latest buzz with Boston possibly moving down and thus accumulating more picks, which you know one could make a safe assumption would be to make another move. But let's go. You know me. I'm a stay-in-the-present-moment guy, man. Let's go with what we have on this very Sunday morning. Father's Day, by the way. I just realized that. In this present moment, where do you feel Boston stands on the trade market this summer? And I guess that is sort of an open-ender of feel free to talk about Jimmy Butler and or Paul George. What I will say is that if the Celtics, for whatever reason, would miss out on Gordon Hayward, I would, if I was them, continue to just build toward the post-LeBron James era in Cleveland. Uh, you know, if they do get Gordon Hayward, though, I think it's worth pushing in. And if they get Gordon Hayward on his max, they still do have the capability of going out and fitting a Jimmy Butler in in a trade, right? Like they can go out and get both Jimmy Butler and Gordon Hayward this summer. And that's intriguing to me because then you would have a situation where you have Isaiah Thomas, you have those two monster top 20 player in the NBA wings, you have Al Horford, you have Markel Fultz, you have a team that can really compete, I think, at the highest level, even with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference, and then you'd be set into perpetuity. Now, uh, in my opinion, I do not think it would take the 2017 uh, number one overall pick to go out and get a Jimmy Butler, and the reason that I say that is that, you know, the best asset in any of these deals that the Chicago Bulls are going to get is still that 2018 Brooklyn Nets pick, right? Like no other team is going to be able to top that asset in terms of long-term value, in my opinion, uh, in a Jimmy Butler trade at the very least. You can throw in a Jay Crowder who's on a bargain basement contract. You can throw in uh, you know, a Terry Rozier who's an interesting point guard for a team that clearly could continue to need some point guards going forward given that uh, Cameron Payne couldn't get off the bench in that playoff series and uh, Rajon Rondo's older and Michael Carter-Williams is a free agent and Jaron Grant is still Jaron Grant. So like I like the idea of moves like that. Maybe you have to throw in, uh, you know, another piece there Marcus of the puzzle. Smart. But is that too much? Marcus, you know, it probably is in a vacuum. Wow. But at the same time, you know, can you overpay for Jimmy Butler whenever you're trying to compete for a championship? You know what I mean? Whenever you still have the ability to just go over the cap to re-sign Avery Bradley next summer. So I, I'm not saying that like Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley are redundant, but whenever you're talking about getting Jimmy Butler, you kind of do what you have to do, right? Like, I don't know that Marcus Smart or Terry Rozier or, or like uh, Jalen Brown or something like that is going to be like the deal breaker on that kind of move, you know? All right, screw it. Let's have a little fun with this. It's with you, Sam. This is our off-season preview show. I'm always talking about staying in the present moment on this show. Very rarely do I get involved in the fantasies and the possibilities on this show. I've dragged the off-season you know, and it is a thing as long as I possibly could. This is the first show that I'm dedicating it to since the Celtics got eliminated in the playoffs, really since the trade deadline last year. It's all been about that particular week. But let's go with a hot take. Does that team beat Cleveland next year? Oh, man. Um, I mean, it would all depend on what Cleveland did. Like if Cleveland would go out and, you know, end up with a Paul George on their team or if Cleveland would, uh, you know, make moves to shore up their bench or do something like that. I think that it would be a hell of a series, man. Like it would be a uh, knockdown seven game drag them out series with multiple guys who can 
cause LeBron James at least relative issues. Uh, you know, guys who uh, can, can really score and who can shoot the basketball. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think they would win, but I think they would be in with a very real 50-50 shot against that Cleveland team that still has the best player in the world in LeBron James. Ah, too political of an answer. Then how about, well, i got to get you the— Give me a, a pro Celtics argument then that they would be the best team in the Eastern Conference final uh, in the Eastern Conference if all the all these dominoes can fall their way in the next month and a half or so. I mean, they they would have a significant coaching advantage in Brad Stevens against Tyron Lue. Uh, I think that a point guard combination of Markel Fultz and Isaiah Thomas would exceed Kyrie Irving. I think that a wing combination of Gordon Hayward and Jimmy Butler is. You know, like I said, two top 20 players in the NBA, that is outrageous. And that is uh, those two guys would fit really well together, in my opinion. Uh, they just run side pick and rolls all day and, uh, you know, stretch the floor for each other. And they're both really solid defenders. Al Horford would, uh, you know, I think exceed anyone on Cleveland's roster at that stage. The, you know, the X factor here is obviously what would the Celtics have to give up for Jimmy Butler after a Gordon Hayward signing? And what would. Uh, the Cavs do in, uh, you know, uh, you know, in response to the Celtics gearing up and the Warriors being an all dominant force. Uh, you know, I don't know what that X factor would be. I don't, I don't necessarily know uh, how exactly that whole thing would go down. Having said that, though, I think the Celtics would very clearly be in with a fighting chance. This is episode number 214 of Celtics Beat, which today is being brought to you by HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com and use code BEAT30. That is B-E-A-T-3-O. Meal kit delivery service focusing on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Get delicious, ready-to-make meals for less than $10 per meal and save some dough while at it. Support the show with the code BEAT30. One real quick question on this, Sam. Is it worth it being the 2A or 2B team in the NBA, which you would think Boston would be, once again, if best-case scenarios play out for the present moment this offseason, when being 2A or 2B with Golden State is still quite, as we saw in the NBA Finals, a distant 2A or 2B? I'm sorry. I'm not entirely sure what you're asking here. So I'll put it this way. I'll answer my question, and that is basically I think it would be worth it because then you would be probably just an in, you know a Kevin Durant or Steph Curry injury away from winning the championship. Now do you sort of, do you sort of get what, what I'm asking? How you know valuable would it be for the Celtics to put all the chips into the table this year? They did it in 2008, but there, there was not that dominant team out there back in 2008. The Spurs were coming off a very flimsy championship in 2007, if you recall. There really was no dominant team in the NBA. Now there's clearly a, a team that has separated itself from the NBA, separated itself larger. There's almost a bigger discrepancy than I can recall in professional sports with Golden State and than the rest of the NBA. So, I mean, just it's kind of really a very open-ended question to say, is that worth it? But yes, Sam, Mr. Vecini, I am going to ask you, is that worth it? Is that something that you would do? You know, again, I think that if they can get both of those guys, it's worth it because I think they would then have, you know, what, maybe like a 10% chance to win the title, something like that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's high, but again, you know, they would be an injury away. They would be, you know, uh, a strong series uh, and a weak series from Golden State away. You know, some sort of weird, you know, pattern of events happening away from a title. And I think that when you can get that close to a title, you should ultimately make that move. If you can't get both of those guys, though, if you can only get one of those guys, 
I think that they are better off staying the course and becoming the team after the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Because, you know, this is a team that you can see a situation. And honestly, like if that ends up being the case and they decide to be the team after the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, your fan base probably isn't going to like this, but I would very strongly listen to offers for Isaiah Thomas at that stage. And if you can go out and you can continue to accumulate extremely high level assets for a guy like Isaiah Thomas, because putting a second team all NBA player on the market is going to allow you to get those high level assets. Uh, you know, I know that that's not something you want to hear, but uh, you know, Cleveland is a really, really strong force. Golden State is an incredibly strong force in this NBA, and I do at least want to build for four years down the road uh, if I can't get close to where I have a 10% chance to win the title. That is something I would be more than willing to hear. But possibly in January 2018, I do think the Celtics are in a very fortuitous situation. Anyways, real quick though, because I do want to talk about the draft all in one sort of block. So we can sort of wrap up really uh, talking about free agency by talking really about briefly about the free agents that are on the Celtics. I think the only way they're going to be be able to maintain Kelly Olynyk, if I do recall, is if they don't sign Gordon Hayward. I could be wrong on that. So if there's correct, a okay. Yeah. So just real quick, then I mean just best way to talk about this is what do you think Kelly Olenek's going to get in the open market 10 million a year right at least 12 yeah he he's kind of a tough guy to gauge I would imagine there is a team out there that's willing to pay him like you know a 440 a 448 uh you know Myers Leonard last year got a 440 deal and Kelly is very clearly I think better than Myers Leonard at this stage of his career uh you know that was probably an overpay in terms of what Leonard got and he was a restricted free agent so he kind of lasted late into the offseason I would think that if the Celtics so Kelly, up, I think just to jump on you, I believe Linux restricted. Yeah. Kelly is a restricted free agent, but if they were to resign or they were to sign Gordon Hayward, the Celtics would then have to rescind his qualifying offer and rescind his rights, and he would move into unrestricted free agency at that stage. Um, so it's a bit of a Kelly's in a very complicated situation because of that factor, right? Like I don't think that he is going to necessarily like sign the qualifying offer because he can very clearly get like a four year, forty, forty four million dollar deal. But at the same time, the Celtics do want to keep his rights in case they miss out on free agents. And it puts him in a bit of a in like a bit of a holding pattern, a bit of a waiting period, right? I do think that ultimately uh, he is worth keeping if the Celtics miss out on a Gordon Hayward, but at the same time, uh, you know, he's not a guy that you keep to get to not end up with Gordon Hayward. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I'll, I will go over on that 10. I think it'll probably be close to 12. I did lie, yeah. Sam, real quick. I did wanted to touch upon this briefly because I know you were pretty high on Jalen Brown last year when many of us in Boston were not. I think he was five on your big board. Is that correct? Yeah, something in that range. I think like five. Yeah, okay. maybe four or five, something like that. So I don't know how to ask this to you. I guess once another, you know, pretty tacky way of me presenting a question for you. Who do you think is sort of the most, it's most important for them to take a leap? Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown next year? Well, ultimately, I think that a lot of it depends on what happens with the Celtics this offseason, right? Like, so if they get Gordon Hayward, it's probably a little bit more important for Marcus Smart to take this leap forward. If they get a, uh, you know, like a Blake Griffin or if they get like some elite guard, it probably is more important for Jalen Brown to take this leap forward, right? Ultimately, the Celtics want both of them to take a leap forward and given their age and given, you know, development curves around the NBA and positional developmental curves, I think it's very possible that both of those guys will take a step forward next year. Um, 
Ultimately, in terms of importance, though, it's going to depend on a lot of factors that uh, we just don't have the answer to yet. It's amazing, too, how we never mentioned Jalen's name as a possible trade chip, uh, even though he'd be someone who would have tremendous value, although we do sincerely hope that he will be in Boston next year, as he does have a lot of valuable skills. And that's me saying that, as I was as negative as anybody, as when the Celtics drafted him. Brief pause in the action to talk about today's sponsor, Zip Recruiter, as we begin our relaunch as CLNS Media this summer and providing leading and online audio video news coverage and analysis across all spectrums of society. We are hiring here at the network, and we are doing so using Zip Recruiter, where we can get all of our candidates in one place and in one click. Try for yourself how awesome this service is for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Main event time, time to officially preview Thursday's NBA Draft. LHR back here with basketball's most accurate draft prospect prognosticator, Mr. Sam Bassini of the Game Theory Podcast. But before we get into that, Sam, we've had about a day and a half now to digest. Uh, those are those reports from many credible outlets back on Friday evening. That having the Celts trading down from the top overall slot down to number three. Stay tuned to CLNS and the Celtics Newsfeed channel. Definitely give Celtics Newsfeed a subscribe right now for up-to-the-date information and immediate analysis if and when anything breaks. But until then, right now on this Sunday morning here on Father's Day, Sam, help us out, bud. What in the hell could Boston possibly be thinking? I mean, hey, yeah, I I would also call this more than a rumor. I mean, whenever uh, Woj is reporting it, Sam Amick's reporting it, Zach Lowe says that, like, you know, this thing is done. Ramona Shelburne was on TV talking about this being – discussed in league circles as a done deal already um i think it's probably pretty fair to say that this thing is uh you know getting to where it needs to be to be consummated uh you know nothing is done until it's done certainly but you know if the celtics mindset on this is very interesting because if i was in their shoes it would take an awful lot for me to trade the number one overall pick And based on some of the reporting yesterday that there's only one first-round pick attached additionally, and the pick that was attached does seem to be the Lakers' 2018 pick that's unprotected, I don't know if that—I don't think that's enough for me to move out of number one, and I think that that's a really important uh, point to make here. There needs to be a very real offer on the table here with multiple first-round picks— You know, maybe uh, like a Dario Saric, who uh, is on a rookie scale contract, would be very easy to take in and then kind of move around other pieces around him. There needs to be more for me to think that uh, this is a a trade worth consummating for the Celtics. And ultimately, there probably will be. Like, let's be clear, Danny Ainge is awesome. I can't remember the last time that like Danny Ainge made a trade and it, you know, totally backfired, I guess. But this is this is a complicated negotiation, I think. Uh, if I'm Philly, uh, I'm sitting pretty and I'm happy to give up what it takes. But, like, Boston, I think, is in a tougher spot here. What do you think is the mindset, though? Is, is it predicated upon trying to shave an extra million and a half dollars, million point seven, I believe the number was, for the salary cap number to have that extra money to go after Gordon Hayward or another free agent who we've talked about a lot thus far today? 
is it the fact that they are this enamored with Josh Jackson, which, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I have yet to believe they have not had him in at a, at a workout at all. Just take a wild stab at what you think the mindset could be. Yeah, it, it would be saving $1.4 million, $1.38 million uh, in the 120% salary cap hold on the number one overall pick to the number three overall pick. So that's an ancillary benefit, though. That's not like the main reason that you make a deal like this. You make a deal like this because you believe that you are getting more value from you know the number three pick and whatever the additions are than what Markel Fultz is going to bring to your organization, right? Um, the the Josh Jackson stuff, I, I don't know how much I buy Josh Jackson. Everyone's kind of jumping with this right now that the Celtics love Josh Jackson, the Celtics love Josh Jackson. They haven't worked and them the, out. It's amazing. And the only, the only reason that people are doing that is because of the uh, Chad Ford report on Friday where he quoted an anonymous GM speculating, saying that, you know, Josh Jackson is a Danny Ainge type of player. You know, I can sit here and speculate and tell you that Danny Ainge is, a, you know, uh, or uh, Josh Jackson is a Danny Ainge type of player. I don't need to work in a front office to say that. Like, it, it seems like we're getting ahead of things a little bit in a way. Um, you know, I've talked to people around the NBA that, you know, have given me different answers in terms of, uh, you know, who the Celtics had at number two on the board throughout the course of the year, right? So, like, it, it's all speculation when it comes from different organizations. Nobody really knows for sure uh, what the Celtics would do at number three. Ultimately, though, I think that the key is here, though, they do not, or at least, uh, you know, Danny Ainge at the top of this, because I do think that uh, it is ultimately him making this call and not other members of the organization, although I'm sure they're consulted, that Danny Ainge is not necessarily sold on Markel Fultz being uh, far head and shoulders above other prospects like I do and like, you know, many others around the league do and like many other, uh, you know, analysts do. Yeah, it's very interesting because Markel Fultz, from what I've gathered throughout the course of the regular season, the Celtics were pretty much in the pro-Fultz. When it was pretty much between Fultz and Ball during, uh, let's see, the months of, say, January, February, and March, the, the Celtics were pretty well to be known as, as Fultz guys. But I, the only, it just I thought it got very interesting throughout the week when not only did Fultz go work out for the Lakers, but there were plenty of you know stories that came out there that he did not have the best uh, workout with the Celtics. I just don't know what to make of that. Feel free to talk a little bit about Markel Fultz, Sam, because we, me and you have had some discussions off air, and you've said some pretty in, things that have kind of blown my mind up way a little bit when when regards to Markel Fultz. So you may as well just take it you know public on these airways right here. Yeah, no, to me, Markel Fultz is probably the most complete offensive guard to enter the NBA in, you know, since I've been doing this, certainly. I was going to say uh, since John Wall. Yeah, you know, you know, like, John Wall was a different kind of really good prospect. He wasn't quite as complete, like, he didn't have the jump shot, you know, turn the ball over a little bit here and there. Uh, you know, Markel Fultz has a little bit more of a polished skill set, you know, a more complete scorer than John Wall was at that stage. But John Wall is a better athlete, right? And, you know, athleticism at the end of the day often wins out. Um, in terms of completeness, no, it's, it, that's the kind of player you're talking about, right? Like Markel Fultz is a true three-level scorer. He's the first player in nearly two decades of college basketball at any level to average 23 points, five rebounds, and five assists per game. Uh, the only play, the only high major player in the last half century, or the last half, maybe quarter century to do it. Uh, half, de yeah, no, quarter century to do it, we'll say. Uh, 
Six foot five, six foot ten wingspan, prototypical size for the lead guard position. Like I said, three level scorer, hit fifty seven percent of his shots at the rim, has great body control, great athletic fluidity, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of things to like in terms of being able to finish acrobatically. A la, you know, he's probably not as good of a finisher as Kyrie Irving is, but they're similar in terms of the way that they float around the rim and can contort their body to finish in very unique ways. Um, good vertical explosion, good quickness, good first step, great in the pick and roll. He was in the top 10 in all of college basketball this season in scoring per game in the pick and roll. Uh, he does a great job kind of shielding defenders with his body, getting them on his hip, getting them on his back, keeping them there, able to knock down little floaters off of that, do little dump off passes, dish, uh, dish to teammates for kickouts and stuff. Uh, three point shot shot 41.3%, I believe from three this year. Uh, you know, Good at uh, shooting off the catch. Good at rolling around the screen and pulling up from three. Uh, you know, 70th percentile off the dribble this season. 88th percentile among all college basketball players off the catch. Uh, you know, the kind of player that can play both on and off the ball, essentially. Uh, also, I would also like I would mention here that he is. I think his most underrated skill is his passing ability. In Pac-12 play this year, Washington and their uh, and his teammates, not including Fultz's three-point percentage, which again was above 40, his teammates shot 28.6 percent from three this year. So he averaged over five assists a game with basically no space to operate, with defenses collapsing in on him at all times, constantly making him, you know, find these really difficult and unique angles to get out to teammates who may or may not make shots. Uh, it's really impressive to me that he was in the top 20 this year in assist rate in college basketball. Uh, good rebounder, do, does all of this stuff, right? Like, it, it, it's so easy to see how he translates to the NBA to me. It's it's just crazy. And it's really easy to see how he translates to the Boston Celtics. You know, it's I remember how earlier in our discussion we were talking about how I have not invoced, invested any of my bandwidth into how Blake Griffin would, would fit with the Celtics, largely because I've been so resigned for the longest time that Gordon Hayward is just going to be a Celtics. So I'm like, okay, I just have Gordon Hayward. Likewise, it's this here, you know, with with this here, with Markel Fultz, I haven't even almost considered any other player on the Celtics for the last, uh, let's see, when was the, the lottery was what, three weeks ago now. I mean, I remember, I mean, I, I, I watched plenty of college basketball throughout the season, largely because of your show. You know, I was talking a lot with Bob Ryan, too. You know, I was watching a lot of games with Bob Ryan as well. I mean, I remember watching a game, uh, it was Kansas against Baylor, and I was enamored as anyone with Josh Jackson, yet I have now I haven't even considered, what, you know, for the uh, at any point in time over the last month now of, of Josh Jackson being a Celtic. So now I kind of need you now to rekindle a little bit and how he would fit in with this team because they have Jalen Brown. We've operated under the assumption that they're going to sign Gordon Hayward. Now I guess we can ret retract on that now a, a little bit, I guess. But they have Jalen Brown. I mean, if there's going to be anything they do in the trade market, you'd like to think that would be for another wing, as we've talked a lot about here about Jimmy Butler and Paul George. So I guess you can talk about how Josh Jackson fits on the Celtics now with, with Jay Crowder. I, I don't know what the, I, I am completely discombobulated, Sam, of what the Celtics are going to do. So just, I guess, make it simple and just sort of talk to Josh Jackson for me. Yeah, uh, Josh Jackson is, uh, I don't remember, am I allowed to curse on this show? You can, I'll beep it out. Uh, yeah, like Josh Jackson is the the best way to describe him is he's like a motherfucker competitor, right? Like, and I mean that as like a scouting term that people use in scouting like circles, Marcus right? Smart. Like, 
It is a great thing. He is exactly similar to Marcus Smart in terms of that mentality, right? He wants to tear your heart out on the basketball floor. And in all of these matchups among elite prospects at the high school level, right, all of these times, like at camps and all these times in AAU games and things like that, when Josh Jackson was lined up against these elite other prospects, like a Markel Fultz, like a, uh, a Jason Tatum especially, like other guys – he would get the better of them every single time. It would go, happen without fail. At Kansas this year, we saw a lot of those skills on display, right? He is just an elite-level athlete with really good feel for the game in terms of passing the ball, great finisher at the rim, uh, really good ball handler, really good playmaker with the ball in his hands. Jump shot's the key, man. Uh, you know, And this seems like a recurring theme with Celtics, the Celtics prospects. unbelievable. It's unbelievable, you, huh? Unbelievable. Well, like, so I've had this explained to me before, right? Like the way it's been explained to me by other NBA executives is that like early in his career, Danny Ainge struggled with his jump shot, right? And people believe that like uh, because Danny got better throughout the course of his career, it's a skill that can improve throughout the course of your career, right? I've always like, had that theory too, Sam, and I'm going to jump jump on you. But this this isn't just, oh, Marcus Smart or Terry Rozier. This goes all the way back to Rajon Rondo. This goes all the way back to his very first selection that he made. I mean, this is a throwback name for you. Marcus Banks came into the, to the yeah. team with the same thing. It's, it is, I think there was a lot of water to that theory. It, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an MO of what Danny Ainge likes to do and how he operates. Um Having said that, I would not just like automatically jump to the conclusion that it's Josh Jackson based on, you know, past behaviors of Danny Ainge, right? Um, again, though, uh, the question with Josh Jackson, like I said, is the jump shot, brings the ball too close to his face, has a lot of like kind of herky jerky stuff at the top of his shooting motion, gets off balance quite a bit. When he's in rhythm, though, the shot falls. Uh, and he does a decent job of creating rhythm for himself because he's such a read-and-react player on the basketball floor. Like, everything that's happening around him, he's not one of those players that sees things like three steps ahead of the play, right? Although I'm sure there's some of that because he does have a really good basketball IQ. He's more of a guy that, like, you know, he sees what's happening and reacts quicker to what's happening on the floor than everyone else, Right. And that's a really good skill. His anticipation is great. Uh, you know, his his uh, athletic fluidity is tremendous for his size at six foot eight. There's a lot to like about Josh Jackson. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I think that he is a potential two way all star in today's NBA. You know, another another concern though I will mention is that you know he had these two off the floor incidents this year. That's something that if I was Boston, I would need to need to meet with him in person about. Like, I, I know that he hasn't been in yet, but, like, if they are moving down to three and they are considering selecting Josh Jackson, the Celtics do as good a job as anybody in the league at gathering background information and making sure that, you know, the guys that they select are going to be fine off the floor and everything. But, like, if I was them, I would need to talk to him face-to-face. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very I, – I, the, the whole thing is very interesting in that – all of a sudden, they became these huge Josh Jackson guys. And like I said, that was without a workout. It isn't like he came in, had a one-on-one workout. Like when you know, a reference Rajon Rondo. When the Celtics were Marcus Williams guys back in the Rajon Rondo draft back in 06. Rondo comes in and just beats the crap out of him in a workout. It's like, okay, all right, fine. Now you understand why they're so in love with Rajon Rondo. It's just 
we don't have enough inform insider information, I guess, to, to, to know really, you know, what is going on here to, to, I guess, validate that report that you referenced about Josh Jackson and, and you know, being with the Celtics as, as much as it is. And like I said, this is coming from someone who, I mean, I remember watching, you know, Kansas play against Baylor with Bob Ryan and Josh Jackson guarded five positions in that game. I remember talking to you about that. He was in the passing lanes all the time. He must have had seven or eight deflections. Very impressive player, but right now, like I said, I'm just still I'm discombobulated in really what's gone on over the past 70, 72 hours with the Celtics. And, I mean, not only that, just thinking about how Jackson would fit with the team. This is why I guess I don't go into these fantasy shows or, or the present moment too, off, too often is because it's, it is just sort of interesting to think in that, A, they have Jay Crowder. And Jalen Brown, I know the Celtics are right, take the best player available. You know that that generally is their mindset. But they have Jay Crowder and Jalen Brown. They're likely going to be very aggressive on the free agent market for a swing man and Gordon Hayward. And if they are going to explore the trade market, it's likely going to be for other swing players and Paul George and um, Jimmy Butler. So it's that really is just just throwing me off. All right. So really to wrap this up too, it, is there's another small storyline if. This trade or any like trade like that goes down, and the Celtics do move down. Josh Jackson being available at three is no guarantee whatsoever. I believe there was a report earlier in the week. I know you can't believe all this stuff, but there was a report way back yonder in the week now that the Lakers had promised Josh Jackson at number two, so he may not even be available at three. So I guess, you know, real quick, give me a what in the God's name do the Celtics do if they trade down and Josh Jackson is not there for them? Yeah, I think it would probably be between Lonzo Ball and Jason Tatum at this stage. I think those are the four guys the Celtics uh, really had seemed to hone in on early in the process at the very least. They did have Dennis Smith in for a workout yesterday or today, I believe. So, you know, maybe they're going to reconsider that early on. But I would imagine it would be one of, uh, you know, Jason Tatum or uh, Lonzo Ball would be the selection there. It's a tough call, though. I mean, uh Ultimately, I think Lonzo Ball is going to be the number two overall pick. And if Josh Jackson is the guy, then, you know, the Celtics will take him. If they don't think he's the guy, then they won't take him. Everything is so up in the air this time of the year come draft season, right? Like, all so much of the time, I think that we're better off just, like, kind of considering common sense, right? And projecting these picks based on a common sense uh, you know, background because all of these teams are floating reports out there like crazy. They're floating out, you know, the Celtics like Josh Jackson. The Celtics this like was a little Jason more Tatum. of a floated report, though, because the the, 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 the the people that reported said rumors uh, back on Friday night. These were these weren't just floated reports. You know, a couple tweets out there. Hey, here and this, here and that. There was a lot there, so it was just I don't know that that the Lakers like Josh Jackson. No, the actual trade down number three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The trade down of number three, I think, is a different scenario than, like, trying to, you know, navigate all of these, you know, Team X promise were likes. here, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. And, you know, ultimately, I think Lonzo Ball is going to go number two. Uh, and then the, the Celtics will pick between Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum, whoever they like uh, best, which, you know, according to people around the NBA seems to be Josh Jackson, but... We'll see. Ultimately, though, like I said, I think a common sense approach is a lot better in these situations than, you know, trying to navigate the 75 reports that uh, that are floating out there. Right. Like what, what do the Celtics need? They need, you know, X, Y and Z. What do the Sixers need? They need a point guard and X. They need the Lakers need X, Y and Z. Right. 
think about that. Obviously, the people running the team in charge know that as well. You're going to have different, uh, you know, different thought processes from different evaluators, certainly, uh, especially once you get later on in the draft. But at the top of the draft, you know, a common sense approach, I think, is ultimately uh, very important when considering all of the potential factors as well. This is going to be absolutely crazy for the next four days or so. Good luck. With you, Mr. Vicini, I know you are not going to get much sleep. And if I could ever refer anyone to a podcast, I will give it another shout. Please listen to the Game Theory podcast for such information. You will be doing shows, I would say, almost daily now till the draft. Is that correct? Yeah, something like that. We'll see. Uh, we'll see who uh, I can get to guest on and come on the show. But yeah, I would say it's going to be something like uh, you know daily or you know three times before the draft on Thursday. At least the Celts are making it interesting for you and for us here at CLNS. But for Sam Bassini of the Sporting News and Vice, also, yes, host of the Game Theory Podcast, definitely follow this basketball savant on Twitter at Sam underscore Bassini, V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Sam, thanks so much for doing this. And thanks to everyone who listens to episode number 214. We will be back next week. But for today's show, music was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph LeBratotes, graphic designer Scott Dillon, staff writer Eddie Santiago, and CLNS founder Nick Gelso. I am Larry H. Russell, the executive producer and host of Celtic Beat, powered by CLNS Media. 